Good morning. It is Wednesday, uh, September 13th, 2023, and you are watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live with your boy Eddie D. We'll be with you from 6 a.m. till 7.30 this morning. I've got to go take my dog to the vet this morning, uh, so we're going to cut the, short, the show short this morning, um, about 30 minutes, but I'm definitely glad to be with you all this morning and hope that you're having a fantastic Wednesday morning. Hope you're having a great midweek. Um, certainly excited to be among you guys today. Going to be talking about some um, topics uh, regarding the faith um, in helping out our fellow believers to have um, a better understanding of some of uh, some of the things that we as believers, you know, endure and go through as the people of God, uh, certainly are welcome down in that comment box below to talk about, you know, anything that, you know, is on your mind, any questions, any comments that you have. Um, and later on in the show, we will go through those comments and talk about any questions or concerns that are there. Uh, but that'll be later on in the show. So if you do have a question, Feel free to hit it in that comment box below and uh, and stay tuned and we will answer those questions accordingly. Uh, but right now we're going to start off our show with talking about the idea of grace and the grace and the love that God gives us in relation to the sin that we feel, um, the sin that we that the sin that we are steeped in. Um <clears throat> A, a popular um, author, I, can, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he said it, he said, uh, he, made, he said a phrase that made so much sense when he said it um, to me as it relates to the love that we have for God and the extent to which our love for him grows. Uh, he said that unless our sin be utterly sinful, our love for God cannot abound. Uh, that if our if we look at our sin as very very small and very very insignificant, then the love that we have for God will will show itself uh, by you know the fact that our sin is very uh, it's very insignificant to us. I um, mean, what he meant by that was the fact that for many of us we can sometimes feel that our sin debt is so small. Like we don't we don't really take into consideration what Christ endured on the cross for us and the and the cost um, that he paid for us in our sins, in our sinfulness. Like he really does. He really doesn't, you know, take really don't take the time to consider like, you know, what we what he went through on that cross for us is bigger than just, you know, dying a death, you know, a, a physical death. Um, he paid for the sin debt of the world. But he, but, he, but he also paid for the sin for you and me as individuals. And the sin debt that we owe is so incredibly great that, that we, and we can't really imagine or fathom the magnitude of the sin, that, of the sin debt that we owe. Um, looking back at the Unforgiven Servant parable that we talked about um, yesterday, um, you know, when we look at the the, the amount that the, that the the unforgiving servant owed to the king, again, I think the debt was anywhere between fourteen billion and twenty one billion dollars worth. You know, in terms of the math that 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 we did in terms of what he owed to the king, <clears throat> that is a debt that no one 
can pay. That that's a debt that no one has the capacity on their own. Not even the richest people in the world today have that cap have that capital on them on hand just to be able to give and say, "Hey, I got the I got it. I can pay for it." Right? And so, you know, to God be the glory that, you know, God has, you know, made it to where he's given us an opportunity to be able to um that he's given us the ability to be able to move forward and to move and to move in such a way that allows us to be able to have a relationship with him. Because what we what we often discover is that the more that we love God, the more that he shows us just how much he loves us. First uh, John talks about the fact that we love because God first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And so we ask, we, so when we, when we look at, you know, what God got on the cross and did for us, when we look at what he accomplished for us, when we look at, you know, when he starts to show us, you know, our lives in the pattern of the life that we were living compared to the life that he wants us to live now, the life that he's ushering us into. When the Bible starts to really read us, when God really starts to show us the fullness of who we are and the fullness of, you know, the, the sinful state that we were in, you know, we have the, we, we, we find ourselves in a place where we recognize that, oh my God, like I have really been steeped in sin. I've really been steeped in sin. I've really been steeped in shame. I've really been steeped in, you know, you know, not being a, you know, being incapacitated to be able to worship him being incapacitated to be able to serve him, being incapacitated to be able to worship him, being able to being incapacitated to be able to love him the way that he wants to be loved. And as a result, I am so thankful that God got that God through the person through the person and work of Jesus Christ has bridged the gap between him and me so that I'm able to worship him, that I'm able to love him, that I'm able to serve him, that I'm able to walk and usher in him in spirit and truth. Like I, on my own, could not make myself worthy to be a part of the kingdom. And my sin debt has been so great that even on my best day, I would never be able to um, pay the debt that I owe. And the more that God shows me who I am, or rather who I was, who I used to be, and the utter sinfulness that I was walking in and the utter sinfulness that I was ushering myself into, and even the mistakes that I make post-salvation, it, 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 it humbles me. It, and it should humble us that, you know, man, I really was out of the kingdom. I really was in darkness. I really was out there, you know, on my own, you know, walking into a walking into a burning hell. And yet God saw fit to rescue me and ransom me from me to ransom me and rescue me from the pit of hell that I deserve to walk that I deserve to be walking right into with gasoline draws on and and allowed me to be a part of the kingdom despite the debt that I owe because Christ paid the debt for me. All the stuff that I've done, all the stuff that you've done, all the stuff that we've done, Christ got on a cross and died for our sins and paid the debt that we could never pay so that we could be called the righteousness of God. 
he who knew no sin, he who never did a thing wrong, never had a never had a a, 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 a moment in his life where he did something that was worthy of him actually being put on a cross for crying out loud, never did anything wrong. He, the Prince of Heaven, the one who holds the, the universe together, the one who is holding all things together, the one who is the master and the commander of everything that's in this place, this is the person who got on a cross and died for us and took on the penalty of death for us. See, a lot of us, we really don't take into consideration what Christ get, getting on the cross and dying represents. You know, the wrath of God is, is prepared for those who choose not to have a relationship with him, who, are, who decide that they don't want anything to do with him. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with, with, with him whatsoever. It's reserved for Satan, his imps, and anyone who decide not to want to walk with him. The wrath of God is such to where that wrath is going to pour out onto the landscape of, landscape of the entire universe when, when that great judgment day comes to cleanse this world of everything that's imperfect. Everything that is not like him. He, the, the, the wrath of God is such that is going to purify this entire world of anything that is not like him. Anything that chooses to walk in a, in, in, in a misalignment to him. Anything that's not of God. Anything that is a misrepresentation of God. God is going to wipe the slate clean. And that wrath was reserved for you and me. Because we, and, 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 and hear me clear, we, despite knowing that, we're, that, we, that God is real, despite knowing that God is, you know, that God is awesome, despite knowing that God is the best thing that's, that, that's ever happened to this universe, despite knowing that, create, that all of creation is um you know is under his command and knowing that Christ died and rose again we still operated in active rebellion against him let's call a spade a spade we still acted in active rebellion against God some of us knowing knowing who God is knowing all that he's done for us some of us have been in church for years some of us have been in our bibles for years some of us have memorized scripture for years but we still acted in active rebellion against God and for that active rebellion, we deserve, the, we deserve to die for that. We deserve hell for that. We deserve going to the place of no return for that. And yet, despite all of that, Christ, in his infinite wisdom, Christ, in his infinite wisdom, and in his infinite love, and in his infinite mercy, and in his infinite grace, he took on that debt for us. He got on a cross and died the death that we deserved after living the perfect life we could never live. After living the perfect life we couldn't live and dying the death that we deserved, descended into the place of no return. Descended into the place of no return. And in doing that, and in doing that, he, you know, sat in the space that we were, that we're, that, that we're supposed to be sitting in and then we returned from the place of no return and said to us, if you repent and believe in me, I will exchange. <clears throat> I would exchange your, your, your sin debt 
for my righteousness. I will give you, I will give you my righteousness. The kingdom can be yours. I will allow you to walk the bridge between death and life by repentance and belief. If you repent, denounce everything that I have, under denounce everything that you say is the is the greatest treasure in your life, the thing that you're pursuing, the thing that you love, the thing that you want, the thing that you need, and turn your face toward me and say, I, you know, Christ, that Christ becomes the greatest treasure that I could ever possess. And you can't push all of your chips in and say, if I'm wrong about God, if I'm wrong about Christ, then when I get to those pearly gates, and it ain't and it ain't him, then I'm screwed. I am done. I am finished. It is over with because it ain't who I thought it was going to be. If you push all your chips in and if you turn toward me, I will give you the kingdom. I will give you entry into the kingdom that you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to try to become, you know, <clears throat> You don't have to become, you know, who you are. You don't have to become this great person in order to walk in. Your greatness, your sin debt, your 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 righteousness is but a filthy rag before before a righteous God. There's nothing you can do to get in here. But what you can do is turn toward me and push all your chips in with me. The repentance and faith, repentance and belief. And in doing so, I will give you the crown of life. I will give you righteousness. I will give you the peace. I will give you the love that the love that, that will resonate in your heart in such a way to where you now know the communion and the connection between you and God. And again, uh, what this tells us is that, you know, the greater we recognize the sin that we are steeped in, the greater we can appreciate the love that God has for us. The greater we recognize how messed up we are, how messed up we've been as a people, the more that we can revel and bask in the love and the forgiveness and the peace and the joy that God has ushered us into. This is a process. This is grace. This is love. This is what God is ushering us into. This is what God wants us to be. This is what God wants us to, to, to understand. This is what God wants us to, 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 to have and to hold. The fact that God loves us so much that he paved the way for us to have connection and communion with him while simultaneously taking on the sin debt that we owe. It's a, it's a wonder that God became just and the justifier. We had us dead to rights, had us in the scope. There's no escape. There's no escape. God sees all, knows all. And yet, because of that, he loves us so much that he was willing to get on a cross and die for our sins so that we may have a relationship with him. We may be able to walk in, 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 in life with him and be able to walk with him both now and forever. And in that space, we can love, we can, 
you know, we can, we can, we can love and we can worship and we can devote our lives to God in such a mighty and powerful way because we recognize that the sin debt that we owe is so insurmountable that we, you know, can appreciate and value the love and the grace that God has showered down upon us. Until we recognize the impact of the wrath of God that is that is um, reserved for those who will not walk with him, who choose not to walk with him, and what that and what that means for us, we cannot appreciate the grace of God. In order for the good news of the gospel to be good, bad news must precede it. Bad news must must be around because. How else can the good news be good if there's no bad news that precedes it? And so we as the people of God, we have to keep in mind and keep in, and keep in consideration that the love that God has for us is such to where he wants his glory to be known and to be renowned in the world. And one way or another, we will bring God glory. God has reserved the wrath and the penalty of sin and death for those who choose not to walk with him. But we as the people of God should not take that lightly. Instead, we think about the fact that that space was reserved for us. That was meant for us. That is where we're supposed to be. And because God loves us so much, <clears throat> the, the love that God has for us is such to where we are thankful we are thankful to God that he paved the way for us, that he paved the way so that we are able to have a relationship with God and we're able to commune with God in such a way to where we are able to continue to walk with him. We're able to delight in him. We're able to be one with him in such a way to where we are able to recognize the utter sinfulness of our sin and the utter love of God for what he has accomplished on the cross for us. And so I challenge us as believers today, I challenge all of us today, when you to, to take a step back for a moment, you know, in the in 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 just take five minutes. It doesn't take long. It, it, it's not something you have to sit in for three hours. But think about, you know, the things that you have done and the things that you have, you know, that you've that you've either reveled in or the mistakes that you've made that have been contrary to the character and the nature of God. As God is molding and shaping us into his image, as God is molding and shaping us into his image, sit and think about the fact that there are things about us and think, uh, and there's things that are going on in our lives, you know, that are contrary to God, right? You know, we have, you know, been, you'll be taking a step back and we're looking at, you know, the way that we used to be and the things that we used to do and the things that have not lined up and have been contrary to the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God. They've been contrary to the fruit of the spirit that is supposed to be exuding out of us. When we take that step back and we look at the things that we've done, there's a level of guilt that is going to show up without question. There's a level of guilt that is going to show up. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, Second Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter seven. Yep, Second Corinthians chapter seven. The scriptures tell us 
even if I made you grieve with my letter, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, I do not regret it. I uh, do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Uh, so although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are all comforted. And so what God tells us in those, in those words is that, you know, we as the people of God, whenever we take an, take an honest assessment of our sin debt, when we take an honest assessment of our sin, when we take an honest assessment of the wrong that we have done, when we take an honest assessment of how we have strayed away from what God has lined us up and is trying to align us to, when we take an honest assessment of that, it should produce a godly grief. Sometimes some of us will sit in the grief that we have and we'll just kind of have a pity party. Be like, oh, woe is me. You know, well, I'm just a sinner. I keep messing up. I keep making mistakes. Oh, woe is me darn you know i just i just can't get it together i guess it's just gonna be the, my lot in life i'm just never gonna get it right never gonna get it together never gonna be able to do what it is that god has called me to do whoa woe is me you know oh sinner that i am and it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't it doesn't push us anywhere it doesn't move us anywhere it doesn't do anything it just kind of sits there but godly grief helps us to be and it helps us in a way to where when we assess what we have done when we assess for the mistakes that we've made the holy spirit does two things at the same time it convicts us and it comforts us it convicts us and it comforts us it does a third thing it empowers us <clears throat> um convicts us well okay does four things I, I i'm remembering a conversation i had about this before it convicts us, it comforts us, it em encourages us, and empowers us. Those four things. That's what godly grief produces. It first it convicts us. The word is going to read us, going to read us like a book. It's going to tell us you're wrong. You're you're not in alignment with me. You you messed up. You made a mistake. You did something wrong. You, you messed up. You 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 you, you it, it, This is bad. And remember, the wages of sin is death. But then he also comforts us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Christ Jesus our, um, through Christ Jesus our Lord, God convicts us and comforts us at the same time by the virtue of the Holy Spirit. Saying, yes, you made a mistake, but God be, to God be the glory that he paid for that already. He died for that already. He, he, he did that for us already. You don't have to sit 
in that mistake. Learn from it, but don't sit in it. Learn from it, but don't revel in it. Sit in it, but don't wallow in it. Much like the prodigal son, you're in the pigsty. Don't stay in the pigsty. You're, yes, you, you, you messed up. Yes, you're in a very deplorable state right now. But don't stay in that. Don't sit in that. Don't, don't stay steeped in your sin. Rather, remember the cross. Remember the cross. Christ died for everything that you did and everything that you're going to do. That is not a blanket statement for you to go living all willy-nilly, according to Romans chapter 6 and 7. But recognize that, yes, you are going to make mistakes. You are going to fall short. You are not God. And even empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are still going to make mistakes sometimes because we are not perfect people. We will never be perfect until Christ comes back and ushers us into the new heavens and the new earth. But your imperfection does not count you out of the kingdom. By virtue of you believing in God and believing in Christ and believing that Christ, that God rose him from the dead, you are saved according to the scriptures. And your repentance and belief toward that is what brings you into the kingdom. You're not working to get in the kingdom. You're working as a result of what the, of what being in the kingdom has done for you. And so we have to remember and we have to be you know reminded of that by the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to remind us of what Christ did, to remind us of the cross, to remind us of the pen, that the penalty that he took on. And so he convicts us of our sin. But he comforts us in reminding us of what Christ has accomplished for us. He then encourages us, get up from your mess. Get up from your sin. Let's learn from the sin. Let's learn from what you've done. You know, what, what can we gain from the, from the, what lessons can we glean from the mistakes that you've made? Let me get this spider real quick. What can we... What can we learn from the mistakes that you've made? What can we learn from the issues that have happened in this space? Why did you do what you did? Why was it so important for you? What lie did you believe in that led you to think that this is what you were supposed to do? This is how this is how um this is how we are able to you know to recognize you know where the where the faults were where the flaws were um i'll answer this question really quickly is there a limit on how many get to go to heaven if so then you're wrong no there is no limit um john in um john in um in the book of revelation said that he saw a number that no man could count um so we then are able to then look and take an honest assessment of why we did what we did, understanding the the roots to the sin, to the roots to the sin. A lot of times the sin that we commit is a symptom of something much deeper. And nine times out of ten, there is a lie that we believed that was contrary to the word of God. And we believed it such to where we followed through with that lie. We followed through with whatever it was that we were deceived into thinking was the better option than following God, following Christ, living for him, being with him, him being the greatest treasure, him being the greatest thing. And, the, and, the, and God encourages us, the Holy Spirit encourages us 
to seek that thing out. And he um, asked us, okay, so now, so now we understand. This is what was going on. This is what happened. This is why you went down this path. This is why you chose this. This is why you decided. This is what you were going to do, knowing that it was wrong, but you did it anyway. So now that we know that, I, the Holy Spirit, will empower you to do as Christ said, go your way and sin no more. <clears throat> go your way and sin no more. For God did not come into this world to condemn the world. Christ did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. So just as Christ doesn't condemn us, stop condemning yourself. Stop feeling like I'm never going to get it right. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get it together. I'm never going to um, amount to being the person that God, you know, called me to be because it's just not so. God called you to be a part of the kingdom if you so decide to. But you at some point have to accept and embrace the person and work of Jesus Christ in such a way to where you are now empowered. You're not being empowered by a Holy Spirit to stop beating yourself up for the mistakes that you make and stop beating yourself up and condemning yourself. Yes, because again, yes, we deserve the penalty of sin. We deserve that. But Christ died so that we don't have to. Christ died so that we don't have to go. Christ died so that we don't have to descend into the place of no return. We don't have to descend into hell. Christ died that we would live. And so as now, the, 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 you know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've died. We die to ourselves. We die to our desires. We die to our agenda. We die to the things that we want to do that are that we have that used to supersede whatever God wanted for our lives. But again, when we make mistakes and when we fall short and when we mess up, we just as Christ didn't condemn us. We don't condemn ourselves. We don't beat ourselves up because of the mistakes that we made. Yes, acknowledge the mistake, but acknowledge that God's love covers a multitude of sins. That's why, again, our sin has to be utterly sinful to us so that we can appreciate and fully revel in the love that God has for us. For if our sins are so small and so insignificant, then the love that God the, then the love that God has for us, we will see as small as insignificant because we won't we won't have the wherewithal to think that God has really done anything for us. How often have again a lot of us been growing up in church our whole lives, been reading our Bible our whole lives, have never done anything wrong in our eyes, and as a result, we just feel like oh we just go we just gonna bust heaven wide open. Like there's gonna be a red carpet rolled out for us because we because we've been a Christian for so long, we've been in church for so long, we've been reading our Bibles for so long, we've been praying for so long. Now, once do we ever consider the fact that God still had to save me? He still had to rescue me. He still had to ransom me, and He still has to mold me and shape me into His image from one degree of glory to the next. Like, yeah, I can wear the Sunday hats and I can wear the five-piece suits and I can wear the gator shoes all day long and I can know every line and stanza in my hymn books in, 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 in Christian worship. But if my heart is still black, God still got to do a work in me. And God, and, and it takes the, uh, a recognition of the sinfulness and the sin that, that I owe to fully appreciate the love that God has for me. A lot of people know the Bible. 
there are a bunch of people who've been on the live right now who know the Bible backward and forward, know it better than all of us combined. And yet their hearts are so hardened from God that even though they know the scriptures, they still don't know Jesus. And yet you could have a homeless man who doesn't know how to read, but has heard the gospel and has repented and believed in, and believed in Jesus. And they have a greater chance of getting into the kingdom than half the people who know the Bible backward and forward because he's repented and believed. We got to consider and we got to remember, uh, just as an aside, that a lot of people who are in the Bible days didn't have a Bible. The Bible wasn't created in the Bible days. They had texts of the Old Testament without question, but a lot of those people that, you know, those that those texts were for, they didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to um how to decipher, you know, things. They were told about a man named Jesus. They were told about someone coming for them. They were told that at some point someone is coming that is going to rid the world of the sins of the of the of the sins and the and the debt that's owed. They were told and they believed. They believed. They didn't have the texts. They didn't have the, the New Testament. They didn't have Paul's letters. They didn't have the revelation from John. They didn't have um, they didn't have the, the Acts. They didn't have the Gospels. But you know what they did have? The Gospel. Because somebody told them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, a person can know our Bible better than us. Christians can know it better than Christians. That's a shame, but it's true. Can know our Bibles better than us, but they could still they but still be so far away from God. Whereas if we know just a few scriptures, just a few scriptures that talk about the goodness of Jesus and all that He's done for us, that peace alone can be enough to get a, to, to for a person to renounce all that they have and all that they know to be to know to be true and all that they've been worshiping and all that they've been um, flourishing in and all that they've been celebrating their their accomplishments their achievements their jobs their spouses their their boyfriends girlfriends their um the the desire to to have to have attention um the desire to have um you know to love the world the desire to have money the desire to have clothes the desire to have all these things in the world um to have a good time, to numb pain, to numb issues, to numb problems. They can denounce all of those things and turn toward God. That's why we as believers, we don't put ourselves in a position to try to save anybody. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That is not our job. That is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to live out a life in such a way that glorifies God in both word and deed and to tell somebody about the goodness of Jesus wherever we can. We, that is our job. Our job is not to save anybody. Our job is not to make anybody a part of the kingdom. Our job is not to force someone to see. That's why, again, I, I tried my hardest not to, you know, try to even get in debates with people anymore. You know, that's something that God is working with me on. And I can, or, you know, and I can, you know, humbly admit that because at the end of the day, I can't make anybody go into the kingdom of heaven. I can't make anybody love God. I can't make anybody worship God. All I can do is tell you what he did for me. All I can do is tell you according to the scriptures. All I can do is tell you, you know, that God is so good that even on my worst day, 
God is still faithful. That even when I've decided I don't want anything to do with God, God can sometimes love us so much to where he'll lovingly lead us through the valley. That God will sometimes, you know, be like, okay, you want to go prodigal? Let's go prodigal. But you're still a part of the kingdom. And I'm going to walk with you through this mess. And when you're done in your mess, come back. Come back to the Savior. Come back to me. Come back in worship. Come back to love. Come back to joy. Come back to peace. And know that I got the patience. I've been patient for, for, for generations. And I'm going to be just as patient with you because I recognize that, you know, everybody's going through their thing. But again, so it's so again, that is what God has called us to do, to by word and deed walk in the light, to be to be one with Christ in such a way to where we're allowing him to mold us and shape us into into the um into uh to mold us and shaping us and uh, into alignment, into alignment. And as a result, God is calling us to not save people. It's not our job to save anybody. It's our job to show people the way, but then get out of the way. For Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we show them the way, literally. We show them Jesus Christ, who is the way, in hopes that their souls may be saved, in hopes that their soul may be, may be lost. As such, um, going back to my original point, when we as the believers can revel in that, when we can revel in that, it God, the Holy Spirit then empowers us to walk out what we know, to walk out what we know, to exercise our faith. It is not enough. It is not enough to just know these scriptures. It's not enough to just know a whole bunch of stuff about God. It's not enough to have just a bunch of head knowledge about the about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to exercise our faith we have to exercise our belief we have to exercise the truth and so god calls us to, and empowers us it's all the work of the holy spirit it's all the work of the, of the of the spirit of god to exercise our faith to do the things to do the things that god has called us to do he's empowering us to do that and so again when we see that we've made mistakes and see that we've fallen short and see that things have, that we've done wrong, we then, you know, and we recognize the utter sinfulness of our sin. We then see the love that God has for us in that his love covers a multitude of sins. His love covers a multitude of mistakes. He covers those things. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, the mistakes that we've made. He then comforts us by reminding us of what Christ accomplished on the cross. What did he do for us? What did Christ actually do for us on that cross? You know, what does that represent for us and all that that represents for us? He then encourages us to get up from the mess, to get up from our to get up from the mistakes, to not sit and revel in it. Like no, get up. You don't have to stay there. Get the, get the F up. Like, you don't have to sit in that space. You don't have to sit in that spot. And so, again, you know, we don't have to, um, we don't have to continue to sit in that state, in that state. You don't have to sit there anymore. Get up from that state. And uh, then the Holy Spirit will empower you to live out your faith. We walk by faith. 
and not by sight. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our faith, to exercise our faith, to do what God has called us to do, to do what God has commanded us to do, to be the children of God that God has called us to be. So I encourage us all today. I encourage us all that despite the situation and despite the circumstances and despite, you know, what may be going on in your life and what may be going on in your worldview, that you have the ability and the capability by the power of the Holy Spirit believer to be the to, to be the light that shines in the darkness, to walk out and exercise your faith. We are no longer sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. We are the saints of God. We are the children of God. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ. We can revel in those things. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. God has, you know, ushered us into the kingdom. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to purchase it. You didn't have anything to barter and trade for it. Christ is freely giving you the keys to the kingdom upon repentance and belief. And so, as such, we can revel in that. And the more we understand our sin, the, 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 the utter state of our sinfulness, the more that we can revel in the love, the, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace of God. Because only when we see our sin as utterly sinful can we then say to God be the glory that he saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And that grace is so amazing. And so and so I thank you guys for listening to that to that soliloquy so far. You have been watching the True Gospel Morning Show. We are live with you here Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, today we'll be cutting the show short. Um, I got to go take my dog to the vet today, so we're going to cut the, sh the show short. We're going to um, be ending on 7.30 today, uh, but we're usually here from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, and I'm grateful for everyone who has been participating thus far. Um, and so going to get into some of these comments and see what we got going on in the comment section today. Um, let's see what we got, what we got, what we got. Um, let's see. we got what we got someone asked a question can someone explain isaiah chapter 19 verse 19 so let's see what's going on in isaiah chapter 19 isaiah chapter 19 It says, in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. Okay, so Isaiah 19 and 19 says that. Um, can someone explain what's going on? Can someone explain Isaiah 19, 19? Um, 
um, um, um, you don't know me says, how do I take the signs for has given me? Um, so, um, I'm going to assume that four is supposed to be God. Um, how do I take the signs, um, God has given me? Um, the first thing, the first thing that you have to do is you have to know the voice of God. Um, knowing the voice of God. Um, sometimes we can mistake the voice of God for our own voice. Sometimes we can mistake God's voice for the devil's voice. So, um, it's the first thing that we have to know is just to recognize God's voice. And the way to recognize God's voice is to actually know his word. Um, and not know his word in terms of memorizing scripture, but recognizing how God speaks in scripture. Um, if what, what God is telling you doesn't sound like something he would say in scripture, then chances are it's not what you're supposed to be doing. It's not what you're supposed to be doing. If what you're hearing from, from, the, from you know, from what you're hearing is something, it sounds like something he would say in scripture, then chances are it's something that you need to be paying attention to. At the end of the day, God gives all of us free will. So if you're talking about taking a job versus not taking a job, you know, make a choice. God is the master and commander of the universe. Whatever choice you make, it's going to teach you whatever it's meant to teach you and show you whatever it's meant to show you and usher you into whatever it's supposed to usher you into and you're going to impact whatever it is that God's meant for you to impact in that place. And so sometimes we can, you know, stall ourselves by saying, oh, which one does God want me to choose? Which job is it? If both options are good, just make a choice. Just make a choice. If you're talking about choosing between, you know, this, that, and the third, just make a choice. Because, again, what sometimes will happen is we will, you know, we will stifle ourselves out of making a choice because we want God to show us a sign. Like, God, please, you know, um, you know give me a ram in the bush or give me a, a you know, burning fire that never consumes. Now, I'm not saying not to add. You can ask for that sign if you want to. But if you if you get the sign that you're looking for, then do what you got to do and don't be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, you know, because I, I asked for it. But then God gave it to me and I'm still I don't know, you know. No, if you ask for a burning bush and God gives you a burning bush, you better pay attention to the burning bush. Hashtag Moses. And so, you know, if God gives you a sign and that sign, you know, is from God, then do what you got to do. Stop stalling. Just do it. Like, if you know this is of God, and you know his voice, and you recognize the sign, then that being you, you, you're being compelled by a Holy Spirit, then do what you got to do. You know, but don't, don't sit on that. But again, if you're having trouble discerning the voice of God, ask yourself the question, is what I'm being, is what I'm hearing something that God would usually, would usually say in scripture? Is this what God's voice sounds like is what he's saying to me right now, something that he would have said in the scriptures, because if he wouldn't have said it in scripture, then chances are he's not saying it to you. Give you a prime example. 
had a client of mine come to me last week and she said to me that her husband and her were getting a divert getting a divorce because God told him that he wanted him to divorce his wife and um and have no contact with his kids because there was some generational breakthrough that he had to in that he had to go through and in order for him to go through it he had to divorce his wife and not have any responsibilities toward his kids now where in scripture does that make sense where in scripture does it make sense for a man to implode his entire marriage that ain't nothing going wrong in this marriage to implode his family where ain't nothing going wrong with the kids. You got a perfect family. The kids are doing well. The, the marriage is going well. There's nothing wrong in the marriage. So where, where, where in scripture does this make sense? Where in scripture does this make sense for God to say, I need you to divorce your wife. I need you to divorce your kid. I need you to separate from your kids. Make that make sense in scripture. Because this, this is the God we're talking about who honors marriage. This is the, the script, the God who tells us, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your Lord, your parents and the Lord. Um, you know, parents, you know, don't be, um, don't provoke your children to wrath. It's the same one who, when Christ says, suffer the little children to come unto me. You know, it's the same one who, you know, even when, um, um, when I think it's Haggai, um, I think it's Haggai who was married to, um, to, um, to a prostitute. No, Hosea. Hosea was married to a prostitute. And the prostitute was going around prostituting all day. God said, go get your wife. Go get your wife. For she's a representation of how relentless in pursuit I am of Israel and in pursuit of the world in pursuit of, you know, in pursuit of uh, in pursuit of them. Like this is this is the, this is the same God we talking about who even when she was wrong and he was in the right to divorce her. God was like, go get your wife. Go get her. Go, go bring bring her back home because I'm trying to show Israel through you what the love that I have. And how Paul says in his word that marriage is a picture of the church. So where do we see Jesus divorcing himself from the church? Where do we see Jesus divorcing himself from, you know, um, from us? You know, and the only time that Christ said that we actually have grounds for divorce is when, you know, um, when, um, when, when infidelity has occurred. That's the only time that we have the grounds for divorce. Like, you know, that is what God is saying to us. That's what God is saying to us. That's the, that's the God that speaks to us. And so where is, where is his voice making sense when he tells somebody, I'm going finna, I'm finna to implode my whole, my whole marriage because God told me that there's some generational breakthrough that I've got to go through. And in that space, you know, I've got to, I've got to separate from you and I've got to separate from the kids and I can't have no contact with y'all. Make that make sense. That is not the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. Now, in me saying that, let me put this disclaimer out there. I am not God. So if God really did tell that man that, you know, hey, who am I? You know, I can't, I cannot, I'm not going to stand in God's way. You know, if God told you to get divorced, 
You blow your whole marriage up, to blow your all your, your your perfect marriage and the perfect kids and all that. You know who am I really? But I know that the God that I that the God that I worship, that don't sound like Him. That doesn't sound like Him. And so you know that is how you're able to discern whether or not God is telling you something. Does it make sense scripturally? Does it make sense? Biblically, and I'm not saying to go find a key verse that then lines up with what you want to do. That's not what I'm saying, because that's what a lot of us will do. We will search the scriptures and find some arbitrary scripture in the middle of Zechariah. Or no, not even Zechariah, Zephaniah, because who's heard who's ever heard of him, right? In the middle of Zephaniah, and say in in this chapter, in this verse, it says, you know, um, it says Lake. So that means I need to go to Lake Michigan. Like, come on, like, let's not, let's not go, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not play that game where I'm going to pick and choose what scripture lines up with what I really want to do. But it, but really ask the question, you know, does this line up with what God typically says to his people? Does this line up with what God really wants in my life? God bless you too, sacred. Um, and so we thank God. We thank God every day that he gives us this word to study so that we can know his voice, so that we can know this is how God typically sounds when he's saying something to me, when he's saying something to his people. And if this is how he sounds talking to the people of God in the scriptures, then this is how he typically is going to sound talking to me. God does not change. God does, God, God does not change. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so that is how you will know. That's how you will know. And so again, you know, again, if God is giving you a choice between choice A and choice B, just pick the better, the better of the two choices, the, the one that makes the most sense for you and go with it. You know, if, if it goes again, you know, don't, don't, don't pull, put so much anxiety on yourself. That, oh God, I got to make the right choice. I don't know what to do. Like just make a choice. Just make a choice. But if you are, you know, but if you're trying to you're trying to figure out what, what God's voice, like, I don't understand what he's trying to tell me, search the scriptures through your daily devotion with him, do your, through your daily readings with him, you know, can you discern God's voice? You know, reading from Genesis to Revelation, can you discern his voice? I'm not, because here it is, can we, can we call a spade a spade? Talking to the believers. We in the nest, right? Most of us are so biblically illiterate, we couldn't tell if God was speaking to us if he was talking to us as plain as I'm talking to you. Some of us are so biblically illiterate that if God were to be dead in your face talking to you right now, you wouldn't know that it was him. Now, I am not saying that to say that I'm him, so don't get on here and be like, you trying to say you God? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that sometimes we can be so biblically illiterate as Christians that we can't discern the voice of God because we don't know what he sounds like. Because all we know are seven scriptures, seven verses, seven verses over the entire Bible. We haven't read Genesis. We haven't read Exodus. We haven't read Leviticus. We haven't read Numbers. We haven't read Deuteronomy. We haven't read the books. We've read verses are special happy verses that make us feel good on the inside and make us feel like, yeah, yay, I'm encouraged. I can go do, I can go do what I want to do and live the impossible. Like we, 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 we love our key verses, but we don't know the full counsel of God.
so we don't know what he's like. See, <laughs> you, <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. Stop it, KG. I knew you go. I knew. I knew you gonna do some kilogram. I knew it. Stop that. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Um, but you know, but we um we um have a tendency to not know the voice of God because we haven't studied the scriptures. We haven't studied the text. We haven't studied, you know, the scrolls. And as a result of that, as a result of that, our tendency is to not know God's voice because he don't sound like the happy scriptures that I'm used to listening to. So that don't sound like him when there's a ton of scriptures where God has been dead angry, <laughs> dead, dead angry. There have been times when God has been sorrowful. There has been times when God has been hurt. There's been times when God has championed us. There have been times when God has, um, <clears throat> you know, when God has been vengeful. There's been times when God has been, you know, been patient. And it's all littered throughout scripture. But we only know the good stuff. We only know the good stuff. And as a result of that, as a result of that, our tendency our tendency is to not know God's voice. So I encourage all of us today, including you don't know me, get to know God's voice by studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, recognizing the voice of God. For in recognizing the voice of God, you will be able to better discern when he is speaking to you, when he's talking when he is, you know, giving you encouragement, when he's leading you in a certain direction, when he's trying to close a door off to you so that you don't walk in that direction, when he's trying to lead you out of temptation, when he's trying to usher you in another degree of glory, when he's trying to show you, a, you know, a, a deeper depth of his love and his grace and his patience and his kindness. When we, when we can hear the voice of God, he can lead us into places that allows us to have a deeper depth of love, of, of love with him. And as a result, we are able to, you know, to, to really revel and bask in the glory of God. But again, it requires us to know his voice, to actually get into our scriptures. We've got to get out of this mindset that the, that the scriptures and the depths of the, the, the knowledge of God is reserved for the pastors, is reserved for the bishops, is reserved for you know people that are that are in that are high and that are high and mighty that we claimed are high and mighty in the um in the Bible in 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 our churches. First Corinthians chapter two says it like this, and I and I love this uh, I love this passage so much because it really explains how we are able as the people of God to know the depths of God if we just choose to believe. <clears throat> Starting at verse one of chapter two. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you through the testimony. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So notice when he was talking to him and talking to them in the beginning, he talked to them as little children because he didn't want to confuse them with you know, with the deeper depths of God, the deeper depths of the gospel. Because let's be clear, we're not graduating from the gospel, but the gospel has a lot of stuff in it. 
that if we steep ourselves in it long enough, we see there's so many multitudes, so many facets of the gospel that we will never exhaust. As we grow to know God and grow to love God, he, he ushers us into those deeper depths. He says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so anybody, anybody can get this wisdom. Anybody can get this knowledge. Anybody can have the deeper depths of God. The depths of God are not reserved for just people who, you know, go to seminary school or are sitting in pastor seats and things of that nature. You know, we can know the depths of God on our own. We can know this on our own by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealing these truths to us. So again, I say all that to say we've got to get off of the pastor. We, we've got to stop depending on the pastor to keep feeding us the knowledge. God wants to feed us this knowledge. The Spirit wants to feed us this knowledge. we got to get off of our pastors being the arbiters of truth. Because, yes, it is their job to teach us. It's their job to enlighten us. It's their job to encourage us. But at some point, we got to get off the milk. At some point, we've got to get off the teat. Some, at some point, we got to be feeding off God ourselves. God said he is the bread of life. He is the living water, not the pastor. The pastor is teaching us and leading us and guiding us, yes. But at some point, he's, the, the job of the pastor is to equip us so that we can then be with God. That, that we can walk with God on our own. We still love pastor and we still, you know, follow pastor as pa pastor follows God, you know. But at some point, we don't need pastor to have a relationship with God. We don't need the pastor in order to know the depths of God. We can lean on him when we don't understand something, let's be clear. But at some point, we can lean on the Holy Spirit. Not our own understanding, but the understanding of the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us to be able to know truth, that leads us into community so that we can share truth with, with one another and learn the depths of God with one another, to, you know, lead us into sharing the truth with others so that they may walk with God. You, like, so again, I'm saying all that to say, we as the believers fall woefully short when it comes to, the, when it comes to our biblical literacy. And, we, and because of that, we can't discern the voice of God. We can't discern the voice of God. And as a result, God could be speaking to us 
right here can be speaking to us through a live, can be speaking to us through a television show, can be speaking to us through watching the weather and how the weather patterns are going. God can be speaking to us in all sorts of kind of ways, and yet we'll never hear him, we'll never understand, we'll never unpack, we'll never discern because we can't recognize his voice because we're not in our word, we're not in our Bibles, and as a result, we can be swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes our way and think that it's of God when it's not. Mistaking the truth about God for a lie and worshiping creation rather than the creator. And so again, we have to be ever so mindful that if we're going to have a relationship with God, and again, I'm talking to the believers, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you have to have a relationship with his word. You have to have a relationship with his word because it's in his word that God has given us the ability to be able to hear his voice, to, to recognize his voice. His, vo his, wor his voice is speaking through the scriptures, speaking through the scriptures. And as a result, we are able to then discern his voice when he's speaking to us, when we pray, when we meditate, when we have our devotional time with him, when we're, you know, going, going about doing our day thing, our thing from one day to the next, we're able to discern his voice and be able to walk alongside him um, day by day. You are watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live with your boy Eddie D. We are live Monday through Friday from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, today we'll be leaving um, early. I got to go take my dog to the vet today. Uh, so we're going to be leaving at 7.30 today instead of 8 o'clock. But I'm so grateful that you guys have been on the live. Grateful that for all the, the I'm grateful for the um, 1,100 likes that we have so far on this live. Um, thank you for any gifts that have been given so far. Um, know that any gifts that's given, again, it is not going to me. I am not getting paid to do this. I got my own job. I make my own money. Any gifts that you give, it goes straight toward the subscriptions necessary to keep these websites up. Um, that we have for the true gospel ministry. Um, but even if y'all don't give a dime, the websites are going to be taken care of because I'll pay out my own pocket to make this thing happen. Um, and so again, I'm grateful for every dime that's been given, grateful for every like that's been given, and grateful to you guys for being on the live and commenting as you have on the show. Going to scroll through these comments again to see uh, what's going on in here. Really appreciate y'all so, so much. Um, for your comments, um, let's see, is anything in here, um, can you get forgiveness, um, um, Troy Johnson asked the question, can't you get forgiveness? If Troy Johnson is still on the live, um, can you give us more clarity on that? Because I don't understand what you're asking the question for. I think you might have been qu asking the question in light of um, in light of something that I might have said. Um, so just give me a follow-up on that. But Welp asked the question, how do you feel about Halloween? Um, I feel like Halloween is a great holiday. I feel like it's a great opportunity for us to dress up as our favorite characters. Um, and I feel like it's a great opportunity to, um, you know, to get some candy. Um, I'm a, I'm a diehard Skittle fan. And so I love Halloween, um, because I get to get a whole bunch of Skittles. Um, and I don't know why my kids don't like Skittles. 
Um, because they are they freely give me all their Skittles every Halloween that we've had. Like I, I don't understand them. I thought that they would eat them themselves, but they don't. Oh, it's oh, um, you know, to God be the glory that I have great children who love me enough to want to give me all their Skittle bags. Um, but um, but Halloween, um, you know. Any any holiday that we celebrate, um, you know, God says to not get caught up or swept up into, you know, worrying about, you know, celebrating this versus not celebrating that. Um, because he says that, you know, all those things are but a shadow of the things to come. Um, and so um, so Halloween at the end of the world. Um, good morning, U.S. in vet in him. Um, you know, Halloween, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's the the. the 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 um the the origination of Halloween um is it didn't come from America it came from a different um it came from a different place where they were basically celebrating and mourning their dead um and so it was much like a funeral um but it was a, it was a memorial service a memorial um, moment for a particular um set of people wasn't even Christian people um it was mourning the loss of their dead and so they would they would set aside a time. Um, but it was in every October um, around harvest time where they would um, mourn the dead um, because they lived in very harsh conditions. Um, and and so, you know, every year they were asking for, you know, blessing like, God, please let us just get through this year, get through the get through the end of this year, because the, the, the winters were very cold and very bitter. Um, and so in that time, they would celebrate you know, they would celebrate the, the lives that were lost and they would pray, you know, that that um, pray to their God, you know, that their lives would be spared throughout the year, um, throughout the, the winter, because the winters were so harsh. Um, those same traditions got brought over to America, much like every other tradition that we that we um, have celebrated came over from America, came over to America. Um and I think about a hundred years ago was when you know people really they they it morphed into what we know as Halloween today, um, and you know and again you know you know people make can make any holiday more than what it is, um, you know and and so you know any holiday can be known can be known as a pagan holiday at some point or another. Um, look at how we celebrate Christmas. I mean Christmas, you know there's a lot of people who do not celebrate Jesus. Even if they go to church that Sunday morning, you know, they don't celebrate Jesus. They celebrate gifts. Come on, let's call a spade a spade. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, please. You know, we eat some food and then, you know, we go and we try to buy electronics, you know. So, you know, we don't really celebrate. Um, we, don't thanks, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving like we're supposed to. Easter has turned into a whole thing where it's not really about Jesus. It's more about Easter bunny and baskets and candy and, you know, and that sort of thing. And, you know, they morphed, you know, resurrection time with, you know, with the, with the God Esther and fertility and wrap those things up to become the Easter that we know it to be today. And so, you know, holidays are holidays. What God is concerned about is your heart. Is your heart's posture such to where you are putting this holiday above me? It's really that simple. Like, do you, do you, are you celebrating this holiday in such a way that, you know, that, you know, dishonors me? You know, and if you find yourself in a place where you are dishonoring God by making the holiday so important, worshiping the holiday, celebrating the holiday in such a way to where it, to where it denounces the name of God or disrespects the name of God in some type of way, then, you know, then you know that's something that's that's a heart check between you and God, but 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 um 
But Paul himself said, don't get swept up in that stuff. Matter of fact, I'm going to read it for you. Because I don't want you to think I'm just out here making stuff up. In the book of Colossians. Paul says in, in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and fit and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you're still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perished as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul tells us in that tells us there that you know don't get caught up in the arguments about stuff like that. Some people are going to celebrate it, and they are the the greatest Christians that we that ever walked the earth. And then you'll have some people who are going to celebrate those holidays who are not going to celebrate those holidays, and they are the worst Christians on earth you know whether you celebrate a holiday or not you know that god is god is not so much a, worried about whether or not you celebrate a holiday as much as he is about how why you're celebrating the holiday and how your why empowers your what and your how again you know if you have a a heart's posture that is far away from god then how you celebrate this holiday and how you commemorate this holiday is going to manifest itself and how it manifests itself, how it manifests itself is an indication of a heart posture. And so, whether it's Halloween, Christmas, Mother's Day, um, Easter, Flag Day, Fourth of July, New Year's, Valentine's Day, which is a big one, because a lot of people talk about that's 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 love. What kind of love are you talking about? So, you know, again, um, um, uh, St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, like, you know, we have all these holidays that we celebrate from one day to the next. And you have some people who are like, we shouldn't be celebrating holidays because that's not celebrating Jesus. Okay, so then don't celebrate your birthday. Don't celebrate your anniversary. Those are holidays, too. At least they are for me. Don't, so when they give you when they give you a day off for your birthday, don't take that day off. You go back there, you go straight to work. When they give you a day off from um, from work on for the 4th of July, you tell them, no, boss, I'm good. I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in that day. When they give you a day off for Thanksgiving, go back to work. Go back to work. And so, again, you know, these are the things that God, you know, tells us, you know, that we don't, we don't get caught up in that stuff. Instead, make sure that your heart's posture is such to where you are worshiping him. And how can you maximize the holiday to where you are celebrating God and and still having fun, man. Go have fun. Go eat some candy. You know, go knock on somebody's door and say trick or treat. You ain't even listen. You ain't even got to dress up nowadays, man. You just go in a t-shirt and jeans, and call yours, and you can say that I'm I'm Joe Cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, go put on a jacket and say, "Hey, like Fonzie," and go get some candy. You know, 
But at the end of the day, don't get caught up in, you know, in petty squabbles over holidays. Because at the end of the day, you know, if, if you really that adamant about not, not celebrating a holiday, then every time you get a day off from work for a holiday, you should tell your boss, I'm coming in. Every time your birthday come around, don't you celebrate your birthday? You are still zero. You haven't aged. You are still zero. Don't celebrate an anniversary, because so what? Y'all married. What you celebrate an anniversary for? If you if you're that adamant about not celebrating holidays, see see where I'm going? Like it, it, it. Where does it stop? Where does it stop? So again, don't get caught up in stuff like that. Instead, love God, love people. Give God glory, glorify him in everything that you say and do, and make disciples, man, right? And enjoy the world that God has given us, because heaven and earth is going to pass away, and what's coming is going to be infinity percent better than anything that we could ever be ushered into um, here. And so, you know, so don't get caught up in stuff like that. I mean, you're watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live with your boy Eddie D. We're live Monday through Friday. From 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be cutting it short in the next uh, 12 minutes. Uh, so I can go take my dog to the vet. Um, let's see. Um, um, Jesus never called anyone a Christian. He called them believers and disciples. Paul made that up. Actually, Paul didn't make that up in the book of Acts. We actually see that the first Christians were, were, were called that. Um, in a different um, country, a different country started calling um, them Christians and it stuck. It was meant to be a joke um, and it stuck. Um, so, no, Paul was not the originator of that. Um, it actually came from, I can't remember the name of the country that they were in at the time where um, they were called Christians, but it was not Paul that originated that. Um, um, someone says, Paul says he knows he, he knows his people by who keeps the Sabbath and commandment, but I agree, love God. Um, so Christ is our Sabbath. Um, Christ fulfilled the Sabbath when he said to us, come all to me who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. Um, we are no longer keeping a Sabbath day. Rather, God and Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Matter of fact, to let you know that I'm not lying, I'm gonna take you to Ma take you to Matthew chapter 11, where he talks about that. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 25, says, "At the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children." Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been given, been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come all to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. 
He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the bread and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, him being Christ. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, again, yes, yes, uh, we, we we are to keep the Sabbath, but in keeping the Sabbath, it just means to follow Christ, to rest in Him, to rest in Him. And that is how God will know. He will know who we are by who rests in him. We're resting in him. We're not resting in the Sabbath. We're not resting in a day. We're resting in him. There will be days where God is calling us, calling us to sit down and rest. Yes, but he's not calling us to a specific day. The pattern between work and rest is for us to remember and be reminded of what God has done for us. To not be so consumed by what we are doing to where we start to believe it is I who am doing this. That it's me that's doing this. And that we then burn ourselves out as a result of grinding so freaking hard every day, all day, to the point where we forget about God. It is a, it is a, it is a, a constant reminder of remembrance. But that constant reminder and remembrance is now in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're no longer keeping the we're no longer keeping the Sabbath. We're keeping Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're resting in Jesus. We're relying on Jesus. We're being empowered by Jesus. He is our rest. He is our peace. He is our Sabbath. And so we rest in him, the finished work of the cross. It's in him. And so we revel in him. We bask in him. We sit in him. We're steeped in him. And every so often throughout our day or throughout our lives, we should take a moment to sit down and say, La. Think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for us and pattern our lives in such a way to where we are reminding ourselves that if it not be for God, not our jobs, not our money, not our work, not our intellect, not our ingenuity, not our fame, not our influence, not our power, not our might. But if not for God, we will not be where we are today. That is what resting in the Sabbath represents. That is what it represents. Renee Carson 543 asked, Jesus went to the cross because we couldn't follow the law, correct? Um, yes, and because we couldn't follow the law, The penalty and the wages of sin is death. That's why he got on the cross for us. He paid the sin debt that we could not pay. He he paid the debt that we could not, that we, that he, he died the death that we deserve for not being able to pay the penalty of sin. Our righteousness, our good deeds, our good works, our good acts are a filthy rag before a righteous God. As a result, we the right we the the unrighteous could never do anything that could get god to to spare us from his wrath christ died on the cross and rose again did he did and descended into hell let's make sure we put that in there descended into hell so that he could so that he could be the propitiation for our sins 
so that he could be the so that he could be unrighteousness for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God. And as a result, anything that we've done wrong, anything that we've gotten messed that we messed up, broken up, God has done that work for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. And what a joy. Bringing us all the way back full circle to this morning. <clears throat> because when I look at my sin and I look at my issues and I look at my problems and I look at my look at the things that I've done wrong, I deserve the wrath. I deserve it. I, in acting in outright rebellion against God, the God of all creation, of all the issues and all the things that I've done wrong, knowing God, I deserve that. I deserve that. You know, I deserve it because he's the author and the creator of all things. And he makes the rules. So if, if he says that the wages of sin is death and the wages of sin is wrath, then, hey, I deserve that. And I recognize that. That's why we say it takes a Holy Spirit to remind us, to show us, to help us to understand what it is what it is that we are um that we are meant you know to um to have meant to have and not have i don't deserve anything that i've gotten from god all the joy all the peace all the hope all the thanksgiving all the patience all the kindness all the love all the great man i don't we don't deserve any of this stuff everything that we get is a gift from god everything that we get is a gift from god and we are not thinking, and again, when we start getting into a space where we feel like we deserve this stuff, that's when we got to check ourselves because anything that we receive in this life is a gift from the Lord. It is a gift from God, not anything that we've worked and earned. Everything that we receive is a gift from God. And so we got to be so careful that we don't put ourselves in a position where we ever feel like I deserve this stuff. I deserve what I've got. In my life, because we don't deserve a thing. We what we do no, what we do deserve is wrath. What we do deserve is hell. What we do deserve is the penalty of outright rebellion against God. Y'all, come on, think about it like this: If I were to do something contrary to the United States of America, and and I know our just just system is so jacked up right now that it's kind of hard to tell. So I'm talking about regular old me. I ain't talking about nobody who's been high and mighty in power and got a whole bunch of lawyers that can get away from some stuff. I'm talking about me. If I were to do something that was contrary to the United States of America, I would be in, um, I would be dead to rights whatever they decide my penalty is. Because I did it against the allegiance to the United States. God is able to set the rules. However, he chooses to set them because he's God. So if I act in outright rebellion against him, if I'm expecting the United States to do something devious to me, how much more should I expect the God of all creation to do something to me for being traitorous to him? Right. And so, again, you know, again, we have to have the Holy Spirit to understand and unpack that because we have been rebellious against God and yet God saw fit that despite our rebellion he paved the way to get us into the kingdom 
he paved the way. He had a way set in motion from the dawn of time of how he's going to redeem his people back to himself, both Jew and Gentile, to where there is no Jew or Gentile. Everyone is a part of the kingdom that but repents and believes in him. And so as a result, you know, we ask and pray um, mightily that God will continue to use us, continue to show us the way, continue to show us the path, continue to show us his love, his faithfulness, his kindness, because we recognize that at the end of the day, you know, it's all God, man. It's all God. And we deserve the penalty of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Lucy asked this question, and with this, I'm out of here. Why do you not preach with scripture? Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been quoting scripture all day. <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, again, I don't, I'm not one to prescribe to chapter and verses and stuff like that because, you know, chapters and verses weren't added in these things. Um, but, you know, I've been quoting scripture all day. So I don't know why you feel that way, but, you know, I've been zinging them left and right. Um, so to God be the glory that I'm not just making this stuff up. I've, I've burned through the scriptures about three or four times just in this, 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 this whole thing. Um, so next, so come next time, uh, cause I got to get out of here. It's seven 30 right now. I got to get out of here. Um, come back tomorrow for another episode of the true gospel morning show. Um, and maybe you'll get the opportunity to see, you know, that I actually do use this Bible <laughs> more than you think. Um, and but at the end of the day, that ain't even the point. Just come back tomorrow because we're going to have a lot more to say about the um, about God and about our relationship with him. Um, and I'm so thankful for the 1,600 likes that I've gotten today. I want to thank all the commenters who commented to commented today. I want to thank everyone who had questions, everyone who had um, things to say. I want to thank all of the trolls who came in today. I hope you stayed on. Um, but recognize, again, you know, I'm trying to get out of the space where I'm arguing with people. And as a result, I got to do what I got to do until I get to the place where, um, where I can read the comments and not... You know, go ham. That's a God. That's a work that God is doing to me right now. Um, and so, you know, I hope that you guys are still here and got something out of it. But thank you so, so much for taking the time. Oh, I love you too, Nicole. I'm glad you were able to stay too. That's what's up, man. I'm really glad you were able to stay, boo. Um, but yes, um, you know, thank you guys so, so much for taking the time to watch this show um, with us. Um, Rico Wallace says, are you in good? Exactly. And that's why God's working on me. He is working on me because I don't want to argue with nobody. You know, if you if, if two fool if two people are arguing with each other, you can't tell one fool from the other. And so I'm trying to get out that space um, so that I can hold space for us, you know, to be able to talk about the things that really do matter. Um, and so I thank you guys so, so much for taking the time to walk this path with me on today and um, come back tomorrow, 6 a.m. Like me um, like this already. Follow me. Um, if you're not following, um, the true gospel morning show already, um, so that way you're able to know when we come on. And again, we're on Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern standard time. As always, if you can't see the good, be the good. I love you guys. Peace out, homies.